2 Kings 4, verses 8 through 37. We're not going to read those verses, but I want you to know where the story is at. You can look through it and fact check me as you're going through that. Today's scripture reading came from Ephesians 4, 32, and it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. This idea of being kind and being loving, you know, this is something very difficult because it's throughout the scriptures. This concept of humility and humbling ourselves before people and being kind, courteous, loving, turn your heart at. But sometimes we don't equate Christians as synonyms with kind people. Sometimes you find Christians that are probably the meanest people ever, more so than, than non-Christians. And there is a flaw somewhere because this is the theme throughout the scriptures. Now, in Second Kings 4, where you are now, that verses 8 through 37, there's a story about a Shunammite woman. A woman with her husband who prepared a room in their house, furnished it. They fed the prophet whenever he was in town. Prophet Elijah, they took care of him. And so the prophet grew fond of this woman who was being so kind to him where every time he came around, she did this. And this wasn't part of the law. She didn't have to open her doors, set up a room specifically for him, look after him. And so the prophet learned that she was unable to have children. So he says to her, you know what, my dear sister, this time next year, you will have a child. And so she's like, nah, don't mess with me. Seriously, you're going to have a child. Well, why would you play with me like that, Elisha? What's going on? He says, he says, listen, it will happen. And sure enough, by that time next year, the Shunammite woman had a child. Some time had passed, and that child became so ill that suddenly Elijah sent someone over there to check up on them, but actually the child had died. And so Elijah went, he did his thing in the Bible, you know, verses 8 through 37, he like stretched himself, like nose to nose and forehead to forehead and like mouth to mouth, must have been like a bizarre version of CPR. I don't know what it was, but he said some prayers and the child's life was restored. The child's life was restored. And you see, to me, this is something that is amazing. Um... I, I, you are getting cheated a little bit today with this message because I could go on and tell you so much more in depth. You're getting just the highlights because it's not the main theme of today's topic. So you are cheated, but go back and search the scriptures for yourself. That's not such a bad thing, is it? You know, go back and, and, and look through the story. But you will notice that she was kind to the prophet. She earned favor with the, with the prophet. He went right ahead and, and, and prayed. She had a child. Then she received a gift from God. And then that gift was sort of taken away. But then it was restored. See, we're going to talk a little bit about kindness today and, and restoration and how the two seem to go hand in hand. There are a couple of things between kindness and restoration. Number one. My God is merciful, loving, and kind, and tender-hearted with his people. When we accept his love and his mercy for us, he is faithful to restore many things in our lives. And even if he chooses not to, our humble perception, our humble attitude, our acceptance of who he is, makes all of the difference in the world. 
Some of us could have turned quite bitter. You gave me a child, now you're going to come and take this child away. Why? But yet she was still the same Shunammite woman. She was still there. The other thing, too, is that her kindness to a man of God created amazing things in her life. And we're going to take a look a little bit more at her story in, in chapter 8. And, and, you know, when we look at our households, when we look at our neighborhoods, when we look at our co-workers, sometimes they're not the most lovable people. <laughs> sometimes they're not the kindest people. Sometimes our own homes may be falling apart. But it is amazing what happens. Instead of us praying for God to take these people away and change them, if we suddenly allow Christ to work in us and change us, it could make all of the difference in the world. Even us behaving kindly and tenderhearted is the key for restoration in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our work setting. It makes all of the difference in the world. So as we look at kindness and restoration, let us go ahead and call upon the Lord in prayer today. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for being such an amazing God and Lord. This is a topic that I could spend hours and hours on. I know I'm just touching a little bit of the highlights. I know some folks may say, well, he left this out. What did he mean by that? That wasn't too clear. Well, Lord, we're going to ask right now for the power of your Holy Spirit. So that as we get to the scriptures, as we look at these things, it will be you speaking and not I. It will be you doing the translating and the interpreting from what is set right here behind the mic and what is received right there in the congregation. But I also ask, Father God, that you prepare my family's hearts and minds so that they could be receptive to your word. Because it is not easy sometimes. And, and, and Lord, we, we can't do this without you. So pour out your spirit right now into this place. This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen. There was a lady, a teacher by the name of Mrs. Thompson. She was... Uh, teaching a fifth grade class. She's getting ready for the first day of school. She went right ahead and told the biggest lie she could to all of the students in the class. She says, hey, guys, welcome to the class. I, I, I care for you, and I love you all the same. That's not true. You know very well. There are some kids that you're just saying, ooh, you know, if we could go back to spanking, you know, back when I used to take a village to raise a, a, a kid, and you could just, you know, whack. I mean, I don't know. My parents seem like they give permission to everybody to just whack me in the side of the head. I mean, half of the church in the neighborhood have permission to do that. We can't, we can't quite do that now. Please don't go hitting anybody's kids. Please don't go hitting my kids because, you know, God is not finished with me yet. And I may violate more than one commandment. But, you know, the point is that there are some kids that are not quite so lovable. You know, it, it, it's difficult. But she went right ahead and said this. And, and so as she says this to all of the children, there's one young man by the name of Teddy Stutter. He's sitting right there in front of the class. And, you know, is the kind of kid that even in, early in the morning, you kind of knew he already needed a bath. I mean, don't get me wrong. Miss Darcel, I know after PE class, you, you smell them. Trust me, I, I do. I, I, I get it. You know, it, it's after PE. But they're they coming fresh from home. And already it's like... This kid needs needs a bath. You know, he wasn't the most appealing child. You know, he was a child that that didn't quite cooperate. You know, he seemed to to sort of keep to himself, but sort of have an attitude as well. You you tell him go grab this, and you kind of just see him. You know, it's like five years later, he'll he'll do what you're telling you. You see the enthusiasm, the energy is not there, and so. Mrs. Thompson struggled with this kid Teddy. She really, really just 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 struggled with him. 
And, and uh, in her school, it is required that you go through the, the students' previous, like, past records, and you get to see what, what has happened throughout the years, their report cards, uh, perhaps any notes that the teachers may have written, etc. And she, Mrs. Thompson, chose to just hold off on, on, on Teddy's record to the very last. She got through all of the students first. She read all of it. But then she began to read his record finally. And this is what she found. This is from Teddy's first grade teacher. She wrote, Teddy is a bright child with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and has good manners, and he is a joy to be around. His second grade teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student, well liked by his classmates, but he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness and life at home must be a struggle. His third grade teacher wrote, his mother's death has been hard on Teddy. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't seem to show much interest, and his home life will soon affect him if some steps are not taken. His fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn, and he doesn't show much interest in school. He doesn't have many friends and sometimes sleeps in class. By this time, Ms. Thompson now, she, she, she's feeling so ashamed of herself. She, she's feeling so sad. And, 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 and it's like, wow. And here I am judging this kid based on where he's at. And it really hit home for her. Now you, you fast forward toward, toward Christmas time because all of the kids brought gifts and Teddy just brought for her in a brown paper bag, a, a bracelet with rhinestones that a couple of the rhinestones were missing and half a bottle of perfume. Because she knew the background now, as the kids were laughing at the gift that Teddy had given her, she says, wow, this is the most beautiful bracelet I have ever received. And she put it on, and she proceeded to spray the perfume on herself. After school that day, she found a note underneath her door, and she says, Mrs. Thompson, thank you so much for today. Today, you smell just like my mom used to. And so it broke her heart, and, and, and she cried for like an hour as she's sitting there in the classroom and saying, wow, how, how can this be? And so a year after that, she received another note from him saying, you are the best teacher that I have ever had. Six years later, as he was getting ready to graduate high school, he was starting his class. He wrote her another note and says, you're still the best teacher that I've ever had. Um, four years after that, he was getting ready to graduate college with the highest honors. And he left another note and says, look, you have been the most amazing teacher after that. And you see, this meant a lot to her because what happened is that from that very moment that she read those those letters, those notes on on um. From his teachers, first grade, second grade, third grade, she realized that I need to stop teaching arithmetic and, and, and reading and, and writing. I need to start teaching children. I need to start teaching people. And this is something that, that, that she realized. So she's getting these notes throughout his life. Her heart is just aching. A couple more years pass after that, and he says, look, I completed my bachelor's, and I decided to even go to school a little bit further and, and to continue because I wanted to help people the way that you helped me. And he signed the letter, Theodore F. Stutter, M.D. But the story doesn't end there. A sp later that spring, she received another letter from him and says, hey, Mrs. Thompson, I met this girl. Because, you know, there's always a girl. Uh, you know, he said, I met this girl and I'm going to get married. And my dad, you know, as you know, died a couple of years ago. I would love for you to come in place of my mother. 
I would love for you to be there and sit where she would normally sit. Will you do that for me? And so she went. And, and, the, and the wedding took place. And at the end of the wedding, he, he hugged her and whispered in her ear, Thank you, Mrs. Thompson, for believing in me. Thank you so much for making me feel important and showing me that I could make a difference. But yet with tears in her eyes, she's wiping them and, and she whispered back to him, Teddy, you have it all wrong. You were the one who taught me that I could make a difference. And I didn't know how to teach until I met you. Kindness. Kindness makes a significant Different, pure, and simple. Auntie Ellen says that if we will only be pitiful and humble ourselves, there will be 100 conversions to where now there's only one. We just baptized that awesome young lady today. Hey, Annette, I'm going to call you up in a little bit when I finish the sermon. And, and you know, but, but imagine to be 100 persons today, uh, simply by us humbling ourselves. That when people see us, they can say, wow, how kind and loving and tender-hearted you are. How pitiful you are. This is wonderful. It's not a bad thing to be pitiful. We, we give it a bad connotation. It is okay to, to humble ourselves. It is all right. And so imagine the difference. Imagine if instead of us teaching a set of rules, doctrines and beliefs and whatever else, we start to teach people about Christ. We start teaching people about a, a, a being that exists, that loves us so much that died for you and me. Rather than just rules and norms, arithmetic and reading and writing. But children of the Lord. Could you see the difference? Go with me to Second Kings. You haven't left there, right? Chapter 8. Go, go a couple of chapters a little bit later. And I'm going to read on verse 1. This is, uh, and notice how many times we see the word restore here. I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is Second uh, um, King chapter 8, beginning on verse 1. It says, Then Elijah spoke to the woman, that's the Shunammite woman from, from chapter 4, whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, go, you and your household, and stay where you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So this is not just a quick little Hurricane Hermine when, you know, it looked chaotic one day and it was bright and sunny the next day. No, no, this is going to be big. So please go get your stuff and, and get out. Verse 2, so the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Verse 3, and it came to pass that at the end of the seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to make an appeal to the king for her household and for the land. Verse 4, then the king talked to Gehazi. He was the servant of God. He was also appearing in verse four, in chapter 4 as well, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things that Elisha has done. So Gehazi's like, okay, king, let me, let me tell you. Verse 5. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he has restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son had been restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, oh, my king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. Verse 6. 
When the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. What do you guys think about that? Are you picturing the story? I mean, some people say, you know, oh, it must have just been a coincidence. But think about it. Elisha, yet again, you know, he cared for, for this woman and her family. He went and warned her, look, the Lord told me this is going to happen right here in Tallahassee first. So I need you to get your stuff and go. First of all, I want to point out that she just went. She didn't fight. She didn't argue. She didn't say, but, you know, I, I have this and, and I have that and, and I have a real job here in my house. And She didn't make any excuses to just get her things and go. That must not have been easy. I'm still unpacking. There's still boxes and boxes in my house. And they'll probably be there. You know what's funny is that there was a closet in my old house in St. Pete with boxes that we said we'll get to it. And three and a half years later in that house, we still had not gotten to it. So we just put it right into the truck and brought it here. The boxes are still there now, almost four years later, because we, we, we bought that house back in October, uh, October 9th. So, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things. Moving is not easy. But yet she did as the Lord asked and left it all behind to be a stranger in the land of the Philistines. She did all of that without complaining. She obeyed. She got up and she moved forward. Okay. Then after the seven years are over, here you have the king talking to Gehazi. And he's saying, hey, you know, they just happened to be on that very day at that very hour sitting in this place. And he's saying, hey. Tell me, what are all the great things that Elisha has done? Oh, well, he has done this. He has done that. You know, don't make fun of his bald head because, you know, some kids one time told him that, you know, he was bald headed and he had some bears come out. So, so that's a sensitive topic with Elisha. But let me tell you something else about Elisha. And he went on telling all of these different things. And then from there, he proceeds to say, and he restored the dead back to life. There was this little boy. Wait, wait. That's the woman right there. She's actually just happened to be walking in, just coming right back, you know, from, from being with the Philistines, here showing up in this place at this very time as I'm speaking exactly about her. That's the one, O king. And so the king asked her, and, you know, what a coincidence, right? And he went right ahead and restored everything back to her. There are many of us here, like the Shunammite woman, that may need some form of restoration. There might be some relationships that may need to be restored. There might be some communication that may need to be restored. Trust, perhaps. Maybe it's finances that need to be restored. But we are all in need of restoration. We are in need of restoration. And there is hope in my God who can restore all things. My God can do this, and he can restore that. We've talked for a while about repentance. We've talked for a while about forgiveness. Remember all of these things? You know, in the Greek, to repent, it actually translates to changing your mind. Changing is something crucial. Maybe we have to change how we behave in our homes. Maybe we have to change how we speak. Because you see, sometimes it's not what you say, but how you say it that makes all of the difference in the world. That makes the difference between a successful marriage or, or a catastrophic one. That makes the difference between your children abiding to what their parents are saying versus just turning an ear and, and creating chaos and fights and destruction in the home. Simply of how you say things. Change is crucial. 
Did you know that, you know, uh, golf balls, they were all smooth when they first came out? And people noticed that as they were whacking them and they were hitting, especially if you play like me and they land everywhere but on the green, uh, uh, you know, that as it got all banged up and had all kinds of holes in there, they noticed that it would actually go even further. So then they started to make golf balls with dimples on it because it needed to happen. There was a change that needed to happen for the ball to go a little bit further. And I have to tell you, if you want your home, your marriage, your relationship, your communication, your trust, your finances, all of these things to go further, then you need to consider the changing of mind. You need to consider repentance. You need to consider absolute obedience without excuses. That when thus saith the Lord to do something, to change something, to cut something out of your life, whatever it may be, you need to do it like the Shunammite woman. I'm, I can't imagine. It must have been difficult for her. Without a U-Haul truck, without movers, without tape or boxes, to just get her stuff and go. Without a car. In, and out there, the heat over there is ridiculous. By the way, it was like 50 degrees this morning. Wasn't it awesome? I mean, I don't know for you guys, but I, I loved it. I didn't sweat from my, my house to the car in the suit. It was nice and cool. Any, I'm digressing. I'm loving the weather here. Uh, anyhow, but the point is, is that it couldn't have been easy. And yet she did it. And because she was faithful, because she was faithful, everything was restored. You see, people may say, people may say that, well, you know, she did all of this and she lost her son and then she lost her house and she lost whatever. That, that is a way of looking at it. I saw a picture just the other day on Facebook uh, uh, where it was pretty cool. It says, before I met Jesus and there's like a, a big glass and a guy drowning on there. And then after I met Jesus and the guy is just like back floating in the same glass of water. You know, it was the coolest thing. You're still going to be in water and in a glass, but the difference is, are you drowning or are you getting through it with Christ? And that's the distinction. And so I want to encourage you to consider this concept of kindness and restoration. It begins with you, in your home, in your neighborhoods, and whatever we do. Last verse for today comes from Psalm 127.1. It says that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So humble yourself and bring God into your home. Be kind and tenderhearted and pitiful. And restoration is something that can happen for you, your marriage, your family, your children, communication and trust, finances, whatever it is. My God is a God of restoration. Let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we love you for being such an amazing God. We thank you for being a God that restores, a God of do-overs and second chances. Today with the baptism, you know, my, my sister Annette, she was able to begin her new life. This is a new birth. Us here, as we do communion in a little bit, we're going to have an opportunity to, to sort of renew our vows with you and have yet another fresh start. Lord, I know, I know that I need humility. I know that I struggle sometimes. I could be the sweetest guy in the world with the most, with the people that are lovable. But those unlovable people, I still struggle. And yet you call that we be kind. We need to be obedient, but we can't do this with our own strength. We need you to work in us. We need you to work in our lives to be able to do so. So may you bless us and keep us. And thank you for the hope of restoration. 
This is my prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.